Wonderful singing, isn't it? I was uh, enjoying that song, but I was looking out at you folks, and I didn't see anybody, anybody with a hymnal in your hands. And I thought, well, how can these people sing? How will they even be able to follow along with the words if they don't have a hymnal in their hands? So I wanted you to know what page to turn to. And so, so, so thank you for that, our, our, our song leader and, and the rest of the musicians. What a, what a wonderful... It's a, it's very good to be with you here today. It's, a, it's quite a day for me, really. It's quite a day. I, 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 uh, I've, I've, had a, I've had a long life. 18, I was, 1815 I was born, John J. Clark. I came from a line of John Clarks, and we carried on with that after me. Uh, my, my father, my father... John Clark. His father, John Clark, my grandfather. Did you know that my grandfather, when he was but 18 years old, he might have been 17, don't know, served in the Revolutionary War. We know about liberty and freedom. They, they, they lived in New York. My, my father was born in New York. But my father had a frontier spirit. So, so from, the, from the tamer lands of, of New York State, my father and my mother, they, they moved, even before I was born, they moved to the frontier. They moved to the Wild West, Ohio. My father, from, from uh, well, really his middle age years, about, well, he was still a very young man, actually, about 37 years old, he, he began planting churches. My father had a frontier spirit. I, 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 I probably learned something from him. Uh, we were never in one town more than seven years. He, he planted Baptist churches in Ohio, and then when things got a little too built up and, and a fast pace in Ohio, we went west to the real frontier, Illinois. I understand it's still the Wild West there in some cities, but we planted one church after another there again, moving and planting a church, staying a few years, getting that church built up and strengthened, and then we move on to the next place. My father did this up until he died, and there we were in Illinois. My, my dad passed away. Well, oh, I, I should back up a little bit. Along the way, I grew up, of course, went to college, went to Shirtlift College. Well, you probably know it as Ashton Seminary. But th- this was the oldest Baptist college west of the Appalachian. So I went to school, went to a good school, got a, got a grounding there, and, and uh, I was 23 years old, and I met my, my sweet wife, Mary. That was her name, actually, Mary Sweet Rice. And uh, I, I figured I married her because I figured she could cook. The name like Mary Sweet Rice, you know this woman can cook, right? So we... We married. I was 23, a little old to get married in that day, but uh, you know, I had to get through college, and uh, I was a school teacher. Having an education, you're able to teach others, but when we were growing up, my dad moving around church to church, he's, 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 he's planting churches, he, he, he traveled the circuit, preaching all over the countryside. I left mom with us kids. My mom, Anar, was her name. Some folks called her Anna instead. And, and my mom raised up us kids, and um, mom was musical, and, and we learned that from her. All of us, could, all of us could, could, could sing, and we learned to lead music, and we got a love for preaching from my dad, a, 
understand you've got a preacher I hear that I, I hear he can't sing much, but it's important. It's important in church. And uh, so, and uh, so, along with the, the church work, we we taught music in in, in the schools, and, and we're teaching school everywhere we every, everywhere that we traveled. Got married, twenty three years old. My wife Mary and I we had two children, Oren, our firstborn, and then Rosetta, little Rosetta, <laughs> little Rosetta, and she was only she was only five years old when when her mama died. And it was a tough time. Mom helped us. Mom helped us a lot. Grandma was right there, and, and uh, she, she helped us a lot during those, those times. And a couple of years later, in fact, I, I remember the year. It was, ni- it was 18, 1852. 1852 was a big year for us. Well, 1852, father died that year. Mom came to live with us. And that just made a whole lot of sense because she was helping with the kids still and her and little Phoebe were just, uh, little Phoebe was, were just so close. And uh, so about that time as well, I'd met, a, I'd met somebody else. I needed, I needed a mother for, for my children. I needed a wife. And I married Betsy. Elizabeth, you know her. I called her Betsy. Betsy was just 18 then. And I don't know what she saw in an old codger like me, but uh, we were married. And 1852, my father died. My mom moves in. I remarry. The kids have a, kids have a, a, a mom again. And, and uh, my brother, his family, and my sister and their family, they head west to the real frontier. Things were getting a little crowded and built up and fast-paced in Illinois by that time. They headed to the real frontier. Oregon country. Got on the wagon train, came this way. They were paving the way. This was, this was a family plan. They were paving the way. They, they wrote us back about the trip. They wrote us back about this, this land out here that you could just take a stick and shove it in the ground and it would grow. I said, well, I got some sticks. We had 100 acres there in Illinois, but it wasn't, it wasn't farmland like that. So we, we a couple of years later, we, we, sold the far, we sold the farm and we packed everybody up, and we came west as well. Uh, our family, uh, Betsy and my older boy, was, older boy Orrin was about 16 by that time. Our younger, younger daughter, Phoebe, she was, well, she was, she was 11 by now. And, uh, of course, Grandma came with us too. Grandma's 74 years old. You know, she walked most of the way. Her and Phoebe were just so close. They, they were right alongside the wagon, walked, walked near all the way to Oregon. And uh, of course, we brought uh, we brought um, we brought we brought Betsy's parents with us, and and, and her younger brothers. Betsy's parents um, Betsy's parents are the the uh, the Van Attas. I think uh, I think one of their kin still around here. One of their cousins. I don't know if cousins here today, but um, yeah, you give a give a shout out to Brandy. She 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 she's family. So they, they, they came out, and uh, Betsy's parents, and we had quite a little traveling band, and just up here by the Barlow Road, Alvin and, uh, and my brother-in-law, Ransom, married my sister, Ransom and Alvin, they came out and joined us at the Barlow Road. It's kind of it's pretty steep there, and they, they helped us down the rest of the way, brought us into town, and we settled in Lynn County, Oregon. We, we settled in there, and, and uh, we were able to make a claim. You get 160 acres just for setting on it. 
we got our 160 acres and we, we, we started farming. It was good land. It was good land. It was, it was getting a little crowded by then, though. A lot, of, a lot of folks around. We, one of the first things we did there, we planted, we planted a Baptist church. There wasn't a Baptist church in the area yet. We planted a church. Got that going. Families coming together. And uh, somewhere along the way, you know, things were developing in Oregon. Oregon became a state not long after that. Uh, and uh, at the same time, across the river, up here in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in this territory, things were beginning to consolidate a little bit. Washington Territory was becoming a little more defined, and there was Idaho was identified separately as its own territory. And, and so there was this Oregon Territory, and things were beginning to happen. We begin to get the... We kind of followed, followed Dad's pattern. You see, seven, eight years in one place, and we'd already been, seemed like nine years in Oregon, so it, was, it seemed like time to go. So... My brother and I, we, we sold out our farms, we packed up our families, and, and we came across the river. Now, that wasn't easy in those days. I don't know what, the, today you talk about difficulty getting across the bridge, and I don't have any idea what you're talking about, getting across the bridge. But we came across, and uh, we settled up. We, we came a little north of, of where the fort was down there. There was a lot of... There were a couple of churches, but the only churches in the area were down by the fort, and there was, a, there was an Anglican church for the, for the British folk, and there was a Catholic church for the French Quebec folk, and they, they'd wanted a church, but uh, folk like us, there wasn't, there wasn't a church anywhere, so we got up here, found this beautiful, beautiful country. It had two things we needed. It had beautiful prairie, and you could tell the ground was great, but there was also trees and at some, some places, it was kind of just really fertile area, and it was clear of trees, and there was just this light brush that, oh, we can clear that away easily. We'll be able to put in our fields. And so we come up here, and there were a lot of homesteads already in place. Some of the best land was already claimed, but the people had moved out. They weren't here anymore. So we were able to take from the selling of our farms over in Oregon, we were able to buy property pretty pretty good price and it was beautiful land we called the place brush prairie we were able to clear it out and and we arrived in may of 1863 and we 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 got to work right away cutting trees built a cabin three it was a nice place we had three rooms fireplace at each end little cook stove for betsy we were we were doing good. We cleared out a plot right away for, for, uh, for some vegetables. We needed to get some vegetables in the ground to look. The snow was already off Silver Star there, so we needed to get the vegetables in the ground. Got them a-growing, and then it, then, then it was time to turn our attention. Between the sowing and the harvesting, that got us thinking about church. That got us thinking about the gospel, and we needed a church here. That's what Dad would have done. So we got together our families and our families. Oh, and there was one other family here at the time. It was, it, was, it, was, it was pretty wilderness. And we got us all together on a Saturday. In fact, I still remember it was August 1st, 1863. It was, the, it was the, the first Saturday, first day of the month in August. And we got together and we, we made our plans and, and we had us some founding members and, a, and a, a clerk was appointed to take the minutes on that day that we were establishing in the Washington Territory a Baptist church. That was an exciting day. We'd done that across in Oregon. There were already churches around and about, but here we were. 
the first Baptist church in this whole area. There had been one. There was one other Baptist minister. He was way up in Puget Sound and started a little work there that continued for a little while, but, but unfortunately, things happen in churches. I can tell you about some of that, and that church didn't continue. But here we are. After many dangers, toils, and snares, John Newton said, and the Lord's grace has brought us safe thus far, 150 years later, eh? He will bring us safely home. So we began the church, and we organized ourselves on that Saturday, came back together the next day, and, and uh, held our first worship service. It was the first August, first Sunday in August, rather, in 1863. August 2nd, 1863. And we sang that song, I love thy kingdom, Lord. I don't know if you know that song, but, but I hope you love his kingdom. I hope you look for his appearing. And I hope you're not afraid of his coming and his kingdom because you have trusted in Jesus Christ as the one who loved you and gave his own life in your place for you. That you can believe on him and you too can be in his kingdom. I love your kingdom, Lord. And so, continued on there. We, we met first in our, in, right there in our homes. And then right up here, just, to, just up this track a bit, just up this road there, there's a, there's a right on the corner up there a bit, there's, there was a little log cabin schoolhouse. There had been families here, but there weren't, those families had all, had all pulled back up and headed back across the river, I guess. So, so there, that, there that old schoolhouse stood. It was ready. It was ready for a church to meet in. It was ready for school to be taught in. And that's what we did. For many years, we, we taught school in that schoolhouse, and, we, and we, we had worship in that schoolhouse all the way to, to 1894. Well, along the way as well, I was the, I was the postmaster in these parts because I, I did a lot of riding about. I, I'd, I'd ride out of, out of Brush Prairie here out, oh, goodness, far as Amboy and Yakult and, the, you know, the route of the stage, and I'd go there. Wherever there were settlers, we'd, we'd head out, and I'd hold meetings out there too. We'd, we'd hold, hold gospel meetings, and we'd hold prayer meetings. And, and uh, so I was doing a lot of riding out, and so if I was riding or walking here or there, then I took the mail with me. I guess it seemed like I was going there anyway. They figured I might as well be postmaster. So that's what we did, and I knew this part of the territory. I knew everybody. I, I didn't ever thought about it as thought about it as politicking, but I guess that's what politickers do. So, after a while, they made me they 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 made me a representative and sent me off to the Washington Territory Legislature too. I did that for a little bit. You see, we were we were not just building a cabin. We were not just staking a claim. We were we were building a community, and those families that gathered together. It wasn't about us. It wasn't for us. We knew there would be folks coming behind us. And we needed to build us a community that others could come into and others could grow into and there would be a gospel witness and we would be able to, to, to be neighbors and friends and ambassadors for Christ for those other people that God would bring into our midst. We weren't just building our own lives. We were, we were building a community. And God opened the way for us to do that. It was, I told you about that schoolhouse, and I told you some things happened with churches. Well, something happened with ours, and along the way, one of the fellows that just didn't, just didn't see it the same any longer, he decided that, uh, well, he, was, he, he owned that schoolhouse, and our church couldn't meet there anymore. So 
Well, what seems like sometimes a bad thing, it just, it, it just grows bigger than you can imagine. And, and what we did is somebody else, you know, she wasn't even a member of our church. Miss Joanna Pearson, she wasn't even a member of our, our church, but, but she donated a piece of land right out here on the corner there. Gave us a spot of land right there, and we built that chapel. We built that chapel. We, we got the chance to, you know, it's a big deal in a church when you get to buy new pews, isn't it? We got to buy us some new pews. And uh, 1894, we put up that, that, that chapel right out there in the corner and been, been right here on this corner ever since then. It's good, you think about it, it's good to, to think about, well, why are we here? What are we about? Why a church? And if somebody's going to say, well, I'm not with y'all anymore, well, what's that about? Why? What do you disagree? What is the things that are essential? We, we set that out early. Who are we and what are we about? That, that first Sunday we were together opened up a copy of the Encyclopedia of Religious Knowledge. Well, we opened up our Bibles too. Don't get me wrong. We opened up our Bibles and we, we, we turned and read from the Word, but, but we wanted a, a, a concise and well thought. And I had learned by now already to appreciate those that had studied and, and were able to express the truth of God's word in a, in a, in a, in a, well, a well-fit way. And so we took, we said, we're not just about ourselves here. The church of Jesus Christ is bigger than us, isn't it? We're not inventing something new here. We're carrying on what Jesus told his disciples to do all the way to the ends of the earth. By my reckoning, we were near there. So we, in this encyclopedia of religious knowledge that I had, one of, my, one of the study books that I had, it, it, it had a, a copy of the New Hampshire Confession of Faith. And that's what we, 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 we read that together. And those words of, of theological truth, we read that together and uh, said that, yes, that is what we understand from God's book. That is what we believe. That is what we are going to unite in together. And I've got a, I've got a copy of that here. So I want to read for you those, those same words that we rehearsed together that very first Sunday. Uh, I, I, I guess it's 150 years ago now. So... So here it is, this New Hampshire Confession of Faith. It was, it was written and agreed, agreed on initially in 1833, so it wasn't new, but the truth in it goes a lot older than that. The truth in it goes all the way back. This is the apostles' teaching, what they learned from the Lord Jesus Christ and passed on to us, tried to express in a, in a, in a concise form for you. First of all, about the Scriptures, we believe that the Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired as a perfect treasure of heavenly instruction. It, was, it has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It reveals the principles by which God will judge us and therefore is and shall remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union, the supreme standard by which all of our conduct, creeds, and opinions shall be tried. We're not listening to the confession of faith for its own sake. We are taking this because it expresses for us that's the truth of God's word. That's where our confidence is. Of the true God, we believe that there is one and only one, living and true God, whose name is Jehovah. 
The maker and the supreme ruler of heaven and earth, inexpressibly glorious in his holiness and worthy of all possible honor and confidence and love. And that in the unity of the Godhead there are three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, equal in every divine perfection and executing distinct and harmonious offices in his great work of redemption. You can say amen if you believe that. Of the fall of man, we believe that man was created in holiness under the law of his maker. But by voluntary transgression, God fell from that holy and happy, or man fell. God didn't fall. That's why I, tried, I was reading this out instead of just making it up by myself. But by voluntary transgression, man fell from that holy and happy state, and in consequence of which all of mankind, that's all of us, all of mankind are, 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 are sinners, not by constraint, but by choice. We choose to be, being by nature utterly void of that holiness required by the law of God, positively inclined to evil, and therefore under just condemnation to eternal ruin without defense or excuse. Ah, but there is a way of salvation. We believe that the salvation of sinners is holy of grace. Through the mediatorial offices of the Son of God, Jesus, our mediator, who by the appointment of the Father freely took upon him our nature, yet without sin, he honored the divine line, the divine law by his personal obedience and by his death for us. He made a full atonement for our sins. Hallelujah. And having risen from the dead, he is enthroned in heaven and uniting in his wonderful person the tenderest sympathies with the divine perfections. He is in every way qualified to be a suitable and compassionate and all-sufficient Savior. Amen. Amen. Of justification in Jesus Christ, we believe that the great gospel blessing which Christ secures to such as believe in him it, that blessing is justification. That justification includes the pardon, the forgiveness of our sins. It includes the promise of eternal life on the principles of righteousness that he has now given us. That God is completely right in accepting us now through the death of Jesus our Savior in our place. That righteousness is to be bestowed on us, not in consideration of any works of righteousness which we have done but solely through faith in the Redeemer's blood, by virtue of which faith his perfect righteousness is freely imputed upon us. That it brings us into a state of the most blessed peace and favor with God and secures every other blessing needful for time and for eternity. God's salvation to us is free. We believe that the blessings of salvation are made free to all by the gospel. It is the immediate duty of all to accept them by a cordial, patient, and obedient faith. And that nothing prevents the, the salvation. Do you hear this? Nothing prevents the salvation of the most grievous of sinners on all the earth but his own inherent depravity and voluntary rejection of the gospel which rejection involves him in an aggravated condemnation, having heard the truth and yet turned away. 
And yet God regenerates even the worst of sinners. He makes us new. We believe that in order to be saved, sinners must be regenerated, be born again. That regeneration consists of a holy disposition in mind that is affected in a manner above our comprehension by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. God does this work. The power of the Holy Spirit in us in connection with divine truth so as to secure our voluntary obedience to the gospel and its proper evidences appears in the holy fruits of repentance and faith and a newness of life. Amen. We believe that repentance of faith are sacred duties. They're inseparable graces. They are wrought in our souls by the regenerating Spirit of God. God does this in us, whereby being deeply convinced of our guilt, danger, and helplessness, and the way of salvation in Christ, we turn to God with genuine, unfeigned conviction, contrition, confession, and supplication, asking Him for mercy. At the same time, heartily receiving the Lord Jesus as our prophet and priest and king, relying on him alone as the only and all-sufficient Savior. God's purpose of grace is that election is his eternal purpose, according to which he graciously regenerates us, he sanctifies us, he saves sinners that being perfectly consistent with the free agency of man, men men choose, it's perfectly consistent, yet the Holy Spirit draws and calls us to himself. It comprehends all the means in connection with the end that at the most glorious display of God's sovereign goodness, being infinitely free, wise, holy, and unchangeable, that it utterly excludes boasting, it promotes humility, love, prayer, praise, and trust in God. That's what God's grace does. God's grace is an active imitation of his free mercy. It encourages the, the use of means in the highest degree. God's grace is ascertained by its effects in all who truly believe the gospel, that it is the foundation of Christian assurance that it is by his grace and not our works, and that to ascertain it with regard to ourselves demands and deserves the utmost diligence. We step into and diligently follow the grace of God. And we have been sanctified. We believe that sanctification is the process by which, according to the will of God, we are made partakers of his holiness. This is a progressive work. It works along the way. It begins at regeneration. It's carried on in the hearts of believers by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, the sealer, the comforter, and the continual use of the appointed means, especially the Word of God. Self-examination, self-denial or sacrifice, watchfulness, prayer. A lot of, there's a lot of truth here, isn't there? There's a lot of doctrine. There's a lot of of theology. Did you know the church? That little log cabin church that we founded, that was a theological thing. That wasn't a social thing. That was a spirit of the living God thing. That was about us knowing God, us pursuing God by his grace, us sharing that gospel. What would we tell? What would we share? What was real truth? that we could share with the people around us that would need more than good land to build their lives upon. 
It was this. It was this truth of God's word that he had brought us here and he would keep us here. We believe in the perseverance of the saints. We believe that such only are real believers as those believers who continue and endure in their faith unto their end. That that persevering attachment to Christ is the grand mark which distinguishes them from the superficial professors. There's a special providence of God that watches over their welfare. They are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. We believe in a gospel church. We believe in the harmony of the law and the gospel, and we believe in the gospel church. In the gospel church, we believe that the the, the visible church of Jesus Christ is a congregation of baptized believers. That's why we didn't just sit in our own cabins and believe. We got together as a church, a local church in this place. We are associated by a covenant in the faith, and that's why we read this that day. That's why we spoke these words to remind us of the truth that we shared together, the fellowship of the gospel. We observed the ordinances of Christ, a baptism and the Lord's Supper. We were governed by his laws, exercising the gifts, the rights, the privileges, invested in them, in his church, by his word, and in those ordinances that we practiced. It's only the, the only scriptural offices in our church are bishops or elders and deacons, whose qualification, claims, and duties are defined in the epistles of Timothy and Titus. It all goes back to God's word. Now, about those ordinances. We believe that Christian baptism is the immersion in water of a believer into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost to show forth in a solemn and beautiful emblem our faith in the crucified and buried and risen Savior with its effect in our death to sin and our resurrection to new life, just as Paul says in the book of Romans. That this is the prerequisite to the privileges of a church relation, to join the church, and to partake together then in the Lord's Supper, in which the members of the church, by the sacred use of bread and wine, to commemorate together the dying love of Jesus Christ, preceded always by a a solemn self-examination. We believe that the first day of the week is the Lord's Day, a Christian Sabbath, It is to be kept sacred to religious purposes by abstaining from secular labor and sinful recreations, by the devout observance of all the means of grace, both public and private, by preparation for that rest that remains for the people of God. Now it seems like times have changed. And really the Sabbath, well, the Sabbath is the seventh day and not the first. But when the Lord gave us the Lord's day, the resurrection day, The new life day. What better day to to spend some time to remind ourselves and to focus on that new life, on that new day. The first day of every week. The first bit of our lives we will give back to God. We believe the civil government is of divine appointment. I was willing to, to serve in that territorial legislature and help build this community, even this territory to grow into a state. We believe that civil government is of divine appointment for the interest, the good order of human society, that magistrates are to be prayed for, 
just like Paul says, to consent to conscientiously be honored and obeyed, except only in things opposed to the will of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only Lord of the conscience and the Prince of the kings of the earth. We believe that there is a radical and essential difference between the righteous and the wicked. We believe that such as only as the, through those who through faith are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and are sanctified by the Spirit of God are truly righteous in God's esteem. While all such who continue in impenitence, they don't repent, they continue in their rebellion and unbelief are in God's sight wicked and under his curse and condemnation that this distinction holds among men both in and after death. This charge of the gospel that we have been given is a serious thing. This is the eternity of souls that God has given us participation in. That's why we formed a church. That's why we agreed together in God's truth. How we're going to live it out now as we look forward to a world to come. We believe that the end of the world is approaching you believe that? I figure it's got to be at least 150 years closer. <laughs> the last day, Christ will descend from heaven with a sh- and raise the dead from the grave to final retribution, that a, a solemn separation will then take place, that the wicked will be adjudged to endless punishment and the righteous to endless joy, and that this judgment will fix forever the final states of men in heaven or hell or, uh, on principles of righteousness. That's what we believed. And in that confession of faith, there then is a church covenant. The, the thing that we then said we agree together in, the thing that we share together in, in that church covenant... And I wanted to share that with you. And I wanted to share an essence of what we endeavored to do. Why we weren't just any of the churches that might be formed. The Baptist movement has always been a movement that says, how would God have us worship? How will we most glorify in our worship the Lord Jesus Christ himself? There's a lot of things that come with church traditions, aren't there? You know, things changed a lot back in Europe after the Reformation. I studied about it in school. And they, there was this guy named Luther. And there was, a, there, was a, there was a man named Calvin. These were wonderful men of God that God used. And the church was changed and the gospel was, was rescued at that time. And then there, were, then there were those Baptists. You know what's been said? The difference between... The, the Baptist church through the ages and some of the others, well, it's, it's kind of like a sock drawer, if I can use that. See, Martin Luther, he, he, he came along, and if the church was a sock drawer, Martin pulled out that, that sock drawer, and, and, and Dr. Luther, he, he carefully picked out the socks that is his understanding of the Gospel of Romans, those socks that didn't fit in there, he took those out of the drawer, took those practices out of the church and tossed those out. Now, now, John Calvin, he's a little different character. John Calvin, about the same time as Luther, Calvin, he comes to the church as a sock drawer, and he pulls open that sock drawer. He dumps it out on the bed. And he takes, from his understanding of all of Scripture, he only takes back those socks that he thinks belong, from his understanding of the Word, that belong in that sock drawer. 
only takes out of all the stuff that was in the church in that day those things that should be in the church according to God's word. Now, the Baptists did a little differently about the same time. Some folks called us Anabaptists at that time, but you know what we did? We took that old sock drawer they called church or Christendom of its day. We took that old sock drawer out and we tossed it out the window. We went back to God's word and we said, now what, what socks are there supposed to be here? And those are the socks that we went. And we, one of the places we turned to was Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, there's a real short. You look at a lot of my messages if you go back. I don't know if they have those transcribed. Ink was expensive. But a lot of them were fairly short texts. I didn't say they were short messages. I said they were short texts. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. We like this as an expression of the church. This is when the church first formed, and that's what we were doing. The church was first forming. And this has been one of those paradigms, one of those pattern verses for us. Those who gladly receive the word, it's all based on hearing God's word and being saved by faith in what God has done for us and told us about in his gospel. Those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Our church was a little smaller than that. But we were We were looking for the same. We wanted to be a witness for the word, and therein God was going to save. Those who who we brought the gospel to, those who God brought to us. And in those two actions together, that's how they would be saved. God would bring them to us, but we would bring the gospel. That's the part God had given us to do. And they would be added to them. And verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. I gave you just a a nutshell, just a brief little bit of that in that confession that we share together. But the teaching of the apostles, we're not making stuff up here. We're not coming up with new things. We're not having extra books and new revelations. No, no, God has given us this once for all, delivered to the saints' faith, and that's where we stand. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Do you continue in the book Do you spend time in it? Do you give yourself to it? Do you you give this book to yourself? Do you take that truth in and reflect on it that you could live it out? Jesus told his disciples to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe. That means not just know, but to observe, to, to practice and to live out in new life, all of those things that he had taught them. Do you, do you hear his voice from here? The apostles' teaching so that you too can live in it and observe it and be a disciple of Jesus. They continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in praying together. You know, I think that's a good place for us to Just transition right there. It says there that they continued in the apostles' doctrine, and we've done that. I shared with you that same confession that we we shared in the church on that first day. And it's 
They continued in fellowship together, sharing together in the breaking of the bread. Do you remember the two on the road to Emmaus? That it was in the breaking of the bread that they saw Jesus, that they recognized him. There's something about this hands-on reminder that Jesus' body was given for us, that his blood was poured out for us. There's something in that reminder that, well, there's not a lot of bread down there. It's not meant to feed our stomachs. We do too much of that as it is. It's meant to feed our souls, and it does. Being reminded of his death for us until he comes again. So we're going we're gonna to step forward from 150 years ago to right in this day, and we continue to practice the very same thing. Just as then, so we practice it now. We're going to celebrate that same table. You know, it didn't start 150 years ago when this church started, did it? It started, oh, I was going to say over 1,800 years ago, but it's near 2,000 now. It's, it started a long time ago. And the church, those who believe in Jesus, have been doing this all along the way. And we continued in that practice then, and you continue in it even today. So if you believe in Jesus Christ, we invite you to as well come and join this table. If Jesus is your Savior, if you share that justification, if you share that sanctification, if the Spirit of God has made you alive in Christ, being joined with Him in His death for our sins and raised to walk in newness of life, then join us as we pass this bread and we share together this cup. It was said that we do that in solemn reflection, wasn't it? So we're going to do that in solemn reflection. We're going to give you some time while our pianist just plays a song. I think you'll know. It's a song that's kind of new in our day, but I think you'll recognize it. It's, one of, it's, a, it's a hymn that was written just, just, just a few years ago. And... Uh, as, the, as the, the men who are serving come forward now, we'll, we'll, we'll pass the bread together. And while you're passing that bread, this is a time to reflect and to think about the Lord who loved you and gave himself for you. And then once everybody has been served, they've come back up forward, we will pray, and then we'll all partake of that bread together as one church.